Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is where you'll find nationally recognized celebrity chefs, food artisans, authors, experts, and visionaries who love food, travel, and living the best life. And every food topic is on the table with recipe inspiration, party planning, wine pairings, cocktail insight, cooking techniques, and much more shared all throughout this hour. So if you love to cook or love to eat, I hope you'll stay tuned because it's my goal to fill your plate. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chefjamiegwen. So let's get to eating, shall we? Today's lesson to kick off the show is all about the frozen margarita pie. Now, the margarita itself is a thing of beauty, right? Blended or shaken, salt or no salt. Even though, interestingly enough, a little bit of food history for you, the margarita didn't make an appearance in the world until the early 1970s, but we've loved them ever since, right? But onto the pie, sorry. One of the things that I love about cooking is taking something tried and true and playing with it to create something entirely different. So it's your favorite summer drink in pie form. It's salty and sweet and tart and totally yummy. And it's an inspired recipe with a combo of flavors. Now, my frozen margarita pie takes very little time to make. And then you freeze it for the ultimate cool and creamy texture. And you have to start out by making your crust. Now, you could use butter cookies or vanilla wafers or even ginger snaps if you wanted. But I jazzed up my margarita pie recently by using pretzels in the crust. I use the food processor to crush the pretzels, and then you add melted butter and granulated sugar, and you can add a pinch of ground ginger if you like, or your spices of choice, and then press the pretzel crust or the mixture itself into a pie plate. And then bake the crust. Now, I like to bake my crust because I like the textural dichotomy of crispy crust to soft, creamy filling. And about 10 minutes at 350 degrees will do. But you could make this a no-bake pie. You'll just have a more tender crust to creamy filling. Then next, you make a really easy filling from sweetened condensed milk and lime juice and lime zest, and of course, a generous splash of tequila. It has to taste like a margarita, right? And you just whisk the ingredients to combine. Then I beat egg whites with sugar, and I fold the soft peak egg whites into the sweetened condensed milk mixture, and then you fold in some whipped cream to gild the lily, and you pour the filling into the crust, and then you freeze the pie, and your summer dessert dessert is ready. Now, I am pretty devoted to chocolate when it comes to dessert, but the frozen margarita pie is a really nice, refreshing change of pace, and you really can't beat how quickly and easily it comes together. Now, if you're looking for a killer summer dessert, this is going to make you 
a culinary hero. I guarantee you that. So if you'll check out the website at chefjamie.com, you will find my frozen margarita pie recipe and everything you need to cook like a pro and bake like a pastry chef. And so please check it out. You'll find it posted on the homepage, along with a few other things posted there that you will not want to miss this week, like my weekly dish. It's everything I love about summer, in fact, an Asian grilled pork tenderloin lettuce wrap. Yes, there's something sort of brilliant about grilling a pork tenderloin with lots of Asian flavors like chili garlic sauce and peeled fresh grated ginger, and then layering it into a lettuce wrap with crispy radishes and thin strips of cucumber and sweet, bright carrot. And it's really very lean and clean, I will say. Perfect for swimsuit season, so do check it out. You'll also find my cocktail you'll love this week. It's actually for all those summer sippers. It's a homemade sweet and sour mix, and my seasonal celebration is a summer tomato fennel soup. Now, you'll also find posted at chefjamie.com my feature to think like a chef, because it's my goal to make you a better cook in your own kitchen, to make you the best chef you know, to make you a wine connoisseur just by listening every Sunday. And this week's Think Like a Chef feature is all about easy pickled red onions. Now, I love pickles. Actually, I love anything pickled. That includes cauliflower and carrots and zucchini and especially red onions. And if you take a peek in my refrigerator, you will always find a mason jar of something pickled that is homemade. In fact, I've been making Asian pickles lately, and my husband keeps eating up the entire jar. I happen to like to make pickles, um, especially from zucchini during the summer months. So you'll find a super simple recipe that will make you a pickling master. So do check it out. Okay, it's time for you to be up on the trends and in the know. And as you heard last week, I've started a new conversation at the open of this show. And it's all about three things foodies need to know. So this will give you what I like to call unnecessary dinner party conversation. It's good to talk amongst foodies, really. And so here is number one for foodie news this week. If you want to be a fly on the wall, a kitchen wall specifically, as celebrated chefs create multi-coursed feasts at the New York townhouse James Beard called home, well, you can watch all the action, if you didn't know, in the kitchen at the James Beard house, where James Beard used to cook for his food-loving friends and where they hold cooking classes still. It's where chefs around the world come to cook. So at jamesbeard.org, you can get a bird's-eye view from their kitchen cam. It has a live streaming video and then recorded features with all the celebrated chefs, and it's pretty cool. So check it out, jamesbeard.org, and look for the kitchen cam. Okay, number two on three things foodies need to know this week. Did you know that Martha Stewart, the 73-year-old lifestyle mogul, has her very own Trisket flavor? If you look in the cracker aisle this summer, you will find a toasted coconut and sea salt Trisket flavor profile, courtesy of Martha. Now, I've been told that it's a mix of sweet and savory and that the cracker tastes like it was cooked in coconut oil and then lightly salted. And thankfully, 
uh, it, I understand, does not have that hint of sunscreen taste that many coconut-flavored foods just can't seem to shake. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about a Martha Stewart Triscuit, but I passed on the info, right? Okay, and number three on the list of three things foodies need to know this week, the health benefits of spicy foods have been once again proven. Just this past week, hot peppers, including cayenne and jalapenos, so the dried and the fresh versions, have statistically shown to help slim you down, clear your mind, and a whole lot more. The statistic actually proved that people consume about 75 fewer calories after eating spicy food compared to after eating bland food. It was the researchers at Purdue University found the chemicals in the peppers that uh, reduce the cravings for fatty, salty, and sweet foods. And if that isn't evidence enough, those incredible pepper chemicals have actually been known to increase the number and activity of your brown fat cells, which burn calories faster than usual. So a half a teaspoon of hot pepper per serving will do the trick. And now you are in the know. But don't touch your dial because there is lots more gastronomic inspiration and scrumptious conversation coming up in your radio. Onophiles unite because the sommelier for the people is here. Master Psalm Michael Jordan is filling our glasses with California wines just after this break. Plus, coming up later in the hour, Amanda Hass of Williams-Sonoma is throwing a cantina party. And I understand she has some really great ideas to make you a summer hero. Plus, Maria Sacasa is stopping by and she is going to make you a quinoa convert. Everything you needed to know on how to use the new it food, quinoa, coming up before the end of the hour. So stay tuned. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'm grateful you're listening and I'll be right back. Cheers to you, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. Did you know that California has more federally recognized growing regions than any state in the country? In fact, according to the Wine Institute, there are more than 107 American viticultural areas, known as an AVA, in California, which is really a testament to the variety of microclimates in the state, right? Well, wine grapes are grown in 46 of California's 58 counties, and that covers 522,000 acres. I think that's amazing. So how can you make sense of what to drink and from where when it comes to great California wines? Well, Onophiles rejoice because the master is back. The sommelier for the people, Michael Jordan, member of the Court of Master Sommeliers and the director of Global Key Accounts for Jackson Family Fine Wines is here to toast you. He is my wine mentor and on this show we call him our resident wine guru and I'm glad to have you back, MJ. Well, thank you, Chef Jamie and cheers, everyone. Cheers to you. Okay, can you please define an AVA once again? Because I think whether you're a novice or a connoisseur, 
there's something wonderful about wine knowledge. Like, you know, I call it unnecessary dinner party conversation, but it, it makes you such an expert, or at least you sound like one. So make us in the know, please. Oh, thank you. Well, I'd, I would be delighted. I think that uh, to just give everyone a simple uh, concept of what we're talking about, a geographical area is basically what it is. And uh, if you look at the old world, the old country in France and Italy, uh, the French kind of programmer system of classification uh, called each region or each subregion an appellation. An appellation is a place, it's mm-hmm. a geographical area, where grapes are grown and freshly gathered grapes are, are made into wine. And hopefully uh, you, you harvest them and make the wine in the location where they're grown. Sometimes grapes are shipped here and there. But in California, we've followed that model to a degree where we don't uh, form strict laws that control the way you grow your grapes or exactly which grapes you can use. We don't have those types of classifications like they do in France. Right. But our American viticultural areas really are just geographical boundaries, but they have to be set up with some kind of criteria not just the name of a place. It has to be, well, this is a slope of a mountain. These soils are different. This is, The one over here has different climate. Uh, uh, different grapes can grow here, but they can't grow there. And as long as it has a historical name and some form of very solid, uh, you know, they can back it up with uh, a reason why this mm-hmm. is different here than over there, they can give it a name and it Call can become... It. An AVA. AVA, American Viticultural Area. So when when you get down to the nitty-gritty, there's probably, say, 30 California AVAs that have real meaning out of the more than 107. We're probably up to higher than that now, right? And you have to know what to drink and from where. That's really the very basic aspect of it. But there are new ones popping up all the time. So can you enlighten us to any of the new AVAs this year? Sure, sure. I would love to. Uh, it's it's kind of fun and it's definitely geeky. But first, let me just say <laughs> I like that, that part. You, you can have an AVA inside of an AVA. And by the way, California as a state is, is one. You can have a wine that says California on the label. And that's really what this deals with is what you see on the label of the bottle of wine, where it's from. It can say California, it can say Napa Valley, that's an AVA, and inside of Napa Valley there are all these little AVAs like Oakville and Spring right. Mountain and, and Rutherford, um, and so there can be an AVA inside of an AVA inside of an AVA. It gets huh. a little complicated, but what I can tell you with certainty is the farther down you go in the bullseye, and the, the tighter the ring of the bullseye, probably the more the wine is going to cost you, and that follows the model in France where hey, it could be from Burgundy. Well, that's a big area. Well, it could be from a village in Burgundy. Well, that's kind of a big area. But one little vineyard in, in the that Grand village Cru, right? Yeah, is going to be more expensive. Okay. And I think that's where this whole thing is, tries to go. And so in California, we had a couple uh, new ones this last year. Uh, one, certainly Eagle Peak is Eagle in Mendocino Peak. County. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we'll see wines coming out of there in the next couple of years. Probably, probably not much uh, really yet. But Paso Robles, which has been an AVA for many years, yes. is a great area to source blended wines. they got great blends up there and red wines, uh, 
Rhone varietals and Spanish varietals and uh, lots of Zinfandel and uh, big red wines coming out of there and cool, unique, and creative blends. Well, they have subdivided 11 new AVAs inside Paso Robles just to confuse the heck I out of I was going to say, but why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and if you are living in this little creek bed canyon and you're area is colder and you can only grow certain special grapes there you're very proud of that and so you would want to put that on your label no, and, i respect and, that yes. you know and i understand it but for most of us i have to say mm. i'm grateful yes that they're going to leave the Paso robles designation on the label and then put the little sub ava underneath that smart because we finally just really are educating the world that Paso robles is a great place to buy uh, fairly priced wines that are right. delicious from, but now we're going to confuse everybody and, and <laughs> make it very difficult, and we all have to do homework. Right. But we don't want to do homework. We just want to drink some wine. Th- thank you. Right, and cheers to that. Okay, so let's break it down even more. Let's make it even easier. Um, there are a few specific AVAs that I know and love, having learned from you and my uh, wine genius husband, that are very specific to particular varietals. Like if you love Zinfandel, you want to drink from Dry Creek Valley, right? Because it's the oldest Zinfandel plantings in California. And that's easy to remember. Definitely. Well, um, and if you're going to talk Zinfandel, these are the places that you get the best. Well, I don't want to say the best, but uh, some of the greatest quality mm-hmm. of Zinfandel is going to be Dry Creek, Paso Robles, right. Napa Valley, and Amador County, as okay. well as there's some really exclusive, cool little small vineyards out in Russian River Valley that, you know, kind of expensive, but really delicious right. uh, for Zen. And while we're in Russian River Valley, that is so well known for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay because it's cooler out there. And then as you get out to Sonoma Coast, which is a big, long AVA, almost from from the Mendocino County border all the way down to the black adobe clay of uh, San Francisco Bay, mm-hmm. uh, all along the ocean is the Sonoma Coast AVA, and that is one of the coldest, most famous areas for really high-quality and expensive Pinot Noir. Right, because you get slow ripening, right? Slow and steady because of the cool weather. And then the um, Spring Mountain, I- I'll always associate Spring Mountain with Cabernet, because I happen to know, and I'm admitting to my birth year, 1974 Spring Mountain cabs were 100-point rated in Wine Spectator magazine. My goodness, Spring Mountain, yes, definitely a super high-quality location for Cabernet Sauvignon, and some just blue-chip, you know, AAA wineries up on the top of that mountain. But as you go to all of the uh, mountaintops inside of Napa Valley, mm-hmm. uh, they're in the Napa Valley AVA, but Mount Veter is its own AVA, Spring Mountain its own AVA, Diamond Mountain its own AVA, Howell Mountain. Amazing. These are all the mountains around Napa, and they can be included in the Napa Valley AVA because they're in there, but they're little sub-AVAs, just a little mountaintop where the vineyards are. Okay. And, um, you know, one one uh, wine really springs to mind is, is Cardinal. Uh, Cardinal is a blend, actually, of those mountaintops fruit together and that's so what are you listed unique. under what ava well it's napa valley it is yeah. napa valley okay yeah because they're all within napa valley now that winery is located in oakville right uh, and the wine is made in oakville but they grow their fruit in little vineyards on top of those different mountains and mm. 
uh, I think it's Chris Carpenter, the winemaker there, blends it together to make that How blend. cool. Oh, so I love that. it's kind of a cool description of little sub-AVA yes, being made in one AVA. For sure. We will continue to look for Jackson Family Fine Wines, of course. And I hope that you will come back next month as we have a long and um, very illustrious history together now, don't we? Oh, Chef Jamie, <laughs> I just love being on your show. And Thank I you. really am grateful to be your friend. And I, and I am grateful to call you my friend and my wine mentor. He is the sommelier for the people, Michael Jordan, master sommelier, in fact, and he's bringing you wine knowledge every month. So be sure to tune in every Sunday so that you can gain extraordinary sipping quality and capability. Uh, all about pleasing our palates, right, MJ? Absolutely. We are ambassadors of flavor and we are perfecting our palates one Sunday at a time and all the days during the week as well. MJ, I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you again. As the delicious conversation continues, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio every Sunday, making you a food enthusiast. So you're hosting a summer backyard barbecue or a get together and you don't want to spend all week planning or the whole party in the kitchen or even standing at the grill, right? Well, Amanda Haas, the test kitchen director from Williams Sonoma, who I'm very delighted to have on the radio for the first time, is here with some really terrific tips for a signature party. It's a cantina taco party, in fact, and it's not just hot, it's really caliente. And you don't want to miss a moment of the fun, so stay tuned. We're going to dish as well with Amanda, because I'm dying to know what the Test Kitchen at Williams-Sonoma is all about. Amanda has uh, a long and illustrious history in the food industry. In fact, she's uh, contributed to multiple extraordinarily award-winning cookbooks. She has been the culinary producer for the James Beard award-winning show, Bake Cafe with Joey Altman, whom I know well, and she has filmed uh, instructional cooking videos for William Sonoma for many years, and she was born to eat. So, Amanda, you and I are definitely destined to be friends, and I welcome you to the radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. Of course. I'm so excited to talk to you. Okay, so l- let's cover the party tactics first. It's summer, we're outside, but that seems to be a challenge, in fact, for me, year-round, is you really want to spend time with family and friends, so how do you plan a menu accordingly? When I have people over, I want to hang out with my friends and family, so... For me, it's really about thinking about what I'm going to make, what I can do ahead of time, and keeping it simple enough that you can execute it. So for this cantina taco party, you'll notice that it's a really simple menu, and there are a lot of things that you can do ahead of time. You know, start for an app. I always love guacamole. Who doesn't love guacamole? Guacamole, by the way, goes with a cocktail in one hand, chip in the other. You aren't kidding. We're going to get to cocktails, too. That was my next thing to tell you about. But, yeah, guacamole is great. And, you know, it only takes a couple of ingredients you can do. Fresh lime juice, some kosher salt to add that flavor, and then make it your own. So I stir it up in a molcajete, which is a beautiful way to make your uh, guacamole and serve it as well. And I have to add, like, fresh corn kernels to mine. It adds kind of like another layer of crunch and depth of flavor that I love. And then you can make it ahead of time. So if you put saran wrap on it and you press it down really well, 
You can put it in your fridge a few hours before the party. So that's one thing you can check off your list. It's something you don't have to make when your guests are actually already in your home. Yeah, that's a really good tip. I, You know, I think of chocolate pudding from my childhood when you mentioned that, right? The plastic wrap directly on the surface. Exactly, but, yes. But it, applies, but it applies very much to guacamole. I do mine in a plastic bag. I know I, I love the beautiful presentation and the tools and, and you know, how you serve it, but I happen to squeeze it up in a resealable bag, and I find that it keeps the air out that way as well. That is such a clever tip. I'm going to try that. And then it would be so fun to serve it on things. Like you could actually pipe it into something if you wanted to from the plastic bag. Oh, definitely. Okay, we've got our guacamole. We do need a cocktail, but if we you'll need please a cocktail. Yes, continue with the menu. A cocktail is a must, and I think I love making margaritas from scratch, but if you've ever done it yourself, you know how many limes you have to squeeze. So yeah, it's really true. fun to do, but I'm really proud of the margarita mixes that we've developed in the test kitchen here at Wing Sonoma this year. And we have a food development team we work with, and we use all natural ingredients, and we sit around and we have to try our hardest to make sure that these mixes taste amazing. It's oh, a rough job. Yeah, I'm feeling terrible for you. In, in our household, my husband and I call that research and development. It is. It's <laughs> R&D all the way. So this year, our research and development led us towards habanero pineapple, spicy one, which is so fun. Ooh, great mix. Yeah. And then we have a classic lime, and then we also mixed it up this year with mango and passion fruit. So another great tip for entertaining, you know, I mix these the morning of the party. So I'll take a great pitcher, the pitcher I want to serve from, and I'll add my favorite tequila or sparkling water if you prefer, and I add the mix, and it's chilled and ready to go. So your guests show up, and you're not scrambling to make cocktails. You know, everyone right there, people can help themselves. Super fun way to entertain. Yeah, that's a pitcher cocktail, which I agree is perfect for a crowd. Right. And then Much easier. what is on the taco menu specifically? So on the taco menu, I have a couple things. I'm starting with a side dish. And what I love to do is do things, again, that you can make ahead and, and in pieces that are oven to table. So I'm just doing some pinto beans on the side that are really simple. And I bake them off in the stoneware baker that we have. Beautiful, bright red, vibrant for the table. And again, it just goes from your oven to the table. So really simple. And then when I get to the tacos, I go to, again, I don't go too fussy. I pick two things to grill. Because when my friends are there, I'm doing the grilling, and I want to be able to interact with them and have a good time while I'm cooking. So I always seem to go towards skirt steak for tacos. I love fish. You know, there are so many firm-fleshed fishes that hold up really nicely for fish tacos. Right. Another trend we're seeing, too, is just do vegetarian. You know, you could grill veggies, and they'd be great as well. Then I round those off with tortillas. I'll, I'll buy corn tortillas. I can't remember the last time I tried to make them, although they're delicious. And I'll griddle those off on my grill as well. And then just top it with guacamole, maybe a few pickled onions. If I want to make one other sauce, it would probably be something that would contrast with heat. So it would be something like a crema where you could use a little mayonnaise or yogurt and have that balance as well. And you've rounded out your taco menu. Yeah, I love the idea of the textural dichotomy and the cool, hot temperature dichotomy too. So you've got either the spicy cocktail or maybe you've spiced up the skirt steak and then you've got that cool crema to just sort of balance it out. So good. And if people really love heat, you know, you can just put hot sauces out for them to um, add to whatever they're putting on their taco. So let them fire it up and people can choose their own level of spiciness. Nice. I love that. We're throwing a cantina party, the best taco party you've been to with Amanda Haas of Williams-Sonoma. And there's more right after this. 
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. As we throw the ultimate taco party, Amanda Hass of Williams-Sonoma is here, and the conversation continues. Okay, so what is it like in the Williams-Sonoma Test Kitchen? It's a fabulous menu, and we know that you had to test it, and you had to taste it. Oh, I'm playing my mini violin, but uh, there has to be something fabulous about a bunch of foodies all around. I mean, I have fun myself alone testing recipes in my kitchen. I can imagine what the Williams-Sonoma feel is like. Well, it's incredible, and we're here at our corporate office, and I joke that it's the happiest place in the building, but can you imagine? (laughs) We have this beautiful test kitchen where we literally spend the entire day uh, making, developing recipes and developing new food products and testing products for our company. So at any given moment, you walk in here, and there might be, like yesterday I walk in, and there are Madeline's baking, there's a deep dish pizza going, (laughs) We're working on scratch recipes for this. It's almost a joke. It's so much fun. I, I can imagine. Yeah, we eat all the time. We're probably the only people, too, who take time to sit down and have lunch because you walk in here, and it's like it screams for you to sit down and enjoy it. There has to be something wonderful about that every day. And what's on the horizon for William sonoma What do you see trend-wise for future months? I mean, I know, and I would think you'd agree, from my listenership, from trying to stay on top of what food lovers are, you know, enamored with, we're definitely going back to our roots. I mean, we're getting back to the basics. We're cooking more. We're gathering friends and family. That's the way I like to live. Do you see that as well from your customers? Absolutely see that. And I think it's something that Chuck Williams, our founder, was all about. You know, it was really about just bringing people together around the table. But I think you're hitting on the on the trend I like the most. And it's not trying to go too crazy with things. You know, the whole point is to bring people together. And so cooking simply, cooking locally with things that are in season and easy to find in your area, I think are all really great trends that I love to see. Um, I think also we're becoming so much more educated about what we're eating, right? Yes. So I'm, I'm really enjoying kind of watching our customers evolve that way and start to ask more questions about the ingredients they use. Hmm. And we can kind of adapt our food development program to suit that so we can follow trends in foods when we're developing things. But uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing out there and what our customers are asking us for. It's definitely an, an enlightened time. Leave us with your best sweet finish, please. So you have a taco party with the homemade margarita in hand, uh, the guacamole bright green, the tacos simple and easy. What's the best sweet to end the afternoon or evening with? I like it really clean. So I would do like a lemon sorbet or maybe a raspberry or strawberry. If you have some fruit in season, you know what I love to do is puree it up, strain it, and then mix it with a little bit of simple syrup and make a granita. So, you know, if you haven't made a granita at home, all you do is put it in a shallow dish and you throw that mixture in the freezer and every hour you scrape it with a fork and it becomes like this beautiful, frothy, icy dessert. So something really clean and light for the summer months, which I love. Yeah. And a a homemade shaved ice, by the way, makes you a culinary hero. I don't know what else would, don't you think? (laughs) So awesome. It's true. You're right. I I agree. Well, I think you are a culinary hero and we love the years of dedication and talent that you have contributed to William Sonoma and uh, proud to tell you, I do shop at your stores. Um, So it's delightful to have you. Thank you so much, Amanda, for stopping by. I really appreciate it. And nice to talk with you as well. A very delicious summer to you. Thank you. You too. More inspiring ideas in your radio right after this. Don't go away.
looking for recipes that are quick, easy, and fun? Well, you've come to the right place. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back. Okay, move over, Kale. It's quinoa's time to shine. And here to make you a quinoa convert, in fact, is the author of a newly released cookbook entitled The Quinoa Cookbook. She is Maria Sacasa, and she is sharing 75 unique takes on the ancient superfood that is naturally gluten-free. By the way, it's an ode to the new it ingredient, and she is going to make you a quinoa convert. I'm glad to have you, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Okay, congratulations. The book is really beautiful. I think it's sort of... It steps out from the, you know, ho-hum quinoa as a side dish kind of recipe development. And I really appreciated that. But I love in the introduction that you give a, a little bit of history and you talk about quinoa's virtues. So start us out if you would. Perfect. So when what you said was actually really interesting. When I started working on the book, the thing that most people would say is, well, I always have that as a side dish, and followed by that would be, oh, and sometimes it tastes like soap. So um, there are different <laughs> types of quinoa. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that true, though? It's, it is true, because I made the same mistake myself the first few times that I cooked it, um, being lazy and deciding that I wasn't going to rinse it. So you do have to rinse it, for starters, whether you buy white, gold, red, or black, these are all the varieties of quinoa that are available out there. You have to rinse it because they have this coating of ponen, and essentially it tastes like soap. So rinse it well, just like you would other um, products like rice, just until the water runs clear, and then you can get going and cook it. Okay, so let's talk about, go back for a second, let's talk about saponin. It's, it's, a, um, it's a food grade coating. So we know it's not harmful to you, but it's meant to protect the uh, grain itself, albeit it is not a grain. And we'll get to that in just a second, right? Uh, but it's a coating that needs to be rinsed. And it, if it's not rinsed, does lend itself to that sort of like bitter uh dish soap, bar of soap kind of flavor. So a good rinsing is essential for quinoa. Yes. It's not a grain. Let, let's talk about that because this is, for the gluten-free movement, quite a, a, a celebration. It's wonderful mm -hmm. for the gluten-free community. Um, the, it's not a grain. I think it's just we tend to look at everything that's small and compact mm -hmm. uh, yes. as a grain and lump it into that group. But it's actually a seed and it comes from this hardy grass-like plant, um, but grain or seed, it's, uh, it, it does have all these wonderful elements that not only the gluten-free community, but if you're a consumer of other grains like rice, you will appreciate because it's, uh, it's the nutritional value is just incomparable to many other things that are out on the market right now. And one of the things you allude to in the book and that I definitely agree with, because I make a quinoa parfait in advance, like on Sundays for breakfast. Yes. And I like to layer it with yogurt and berries. And I like red quinoa personally, if anybody wanted to know. Um, but I, I will say it fills you up. There is something, yes, like that blooms in your belly. And a lot of people, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me because I'm from Latin America and from Central America and I grew up eating uh, white rice and beans quite a lot. 
but I think that the beans in combination with the rice would keep you a bit fuller. But traditionally, if I eat white rice or if I eat um, if I eat things like bread or starchy things, the things mm-hmm. that people are always commenting about, you feel full at the moment, but not later. And with the quinoa, I always notice that I have, I could have the same amount of quinoa, but I would be having the same amount of, let's say, sugary cereal, and I'm not crashing, I'm not hungry two hours later. Definitely. So it's definitely a great way. And I'm yeah. glad that you mentioned it as a breakfast item, because we can definitely talk more about how we can eat it throughout the day. Give us an alternative to the basic boil. issue that I kept having with people is that they were telling me that they were overcooking it or undercooking it, and then they would try the um, red and the black quinoas, which seems a little bit tougher. So the just dumping it in water with salt and boiling it and then straining it out seemed to be a very helpful approach for a lot of people, especially if you were going to incorporate it into other recipes and didn't need something that was already flavored like a pilaf would. The new book is entitled The Quinoa Cookbook, and it is written by Maria Sacasa. And it is the new culinary darling, quinoa, that is, enjoying its moment in the limelight. So you will love to discover new and inspiring recipes, tips, and tricks to cooking everything quinoa perfectly. You'll find an excerpted recipe posted at chefjamie.com with a direct link to the book. Thank you so much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. The most passionate food and wine lovers listen here. So if you're a food enthusiast, I hope you'll tune in next Sunday in your radio. And if you missed a show or you'd like to master a particular topic, you can find my podcasts with outline show descriptions on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Don't forget, I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And I'll leave you with my last bite or my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation. Inspired by the sweet summer tomatoes of the season, I have a new lunch addiction and it uses just a few ingredients. So for my chicken caprese salad, start with leftover grilled chicken, maybe from the weekend, or if you're making the perfect roast chicken for Sunday supper tonight, you might have leftovers tomorrow. Even a store-bought rotisserie chicken will work well. And throw the cubed or shredded chicken into a bowl with uh, either the cherry tomatoes cut in half or any uh, heirloom tomatoes, let's say, that you have chopped into pieces. And then... Go to your fridge and look for those bocconcini that you bought, the little mini mozzarella balls. And of course, you bought the ones floating in herbaceous olive oil, right? Well, that tasty oil will make the ultimate vinaigrette. Throw in some of the mini mozzarella balls to the chicken and tomatoes, drizzle some of that herbed olive oil over top, and throw in a splash of balsamic vinegar. Season with salt and pepper, and you have a five-ingredient wonder for summer. I will post all of the ingredients uh, and tips and tricks once again on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening and I hope you continue to eat well. Well,